So let's just uh, review a little bit, like we normally do. So what did we do last week, or last class? Which chapter, number? Chapter 9. Chapter 9, good, very good, okay. And chapter 9, if you could give it a title, and you could even cheat by looking at the Tanya map, and what, would, what title would you give chapter 9? War Between the Souls? I can't War Between the Souls? I like that. That's what you wrote, two words. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Where did I write that? In your Tanya Mac? Oh, in the Tanya Mac. <laughs> oh, I don't have that. Well, I think War Between the Souls is the title for the whole section of chapters yeah, from 9, 9 through 17. 17. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, that is the theme, 9 through 17. But not, just 9 by itself what was the specific theme over there. Remember the metaphor? King Solomon's metaphor. Yeah, the two souls. Yeah, Katana, yeah, the small city. Yeah. Who's the small city? Yes. We you. are. Yeah, we are. Each one of us is a small city. Okay. And and we spoke about the two kings and their agenda, their respective agendas, and each king wants complete dominion, complete control, which means he wants the keys to the car. And he wants to decide how you're going to live your life. Now, let's talk about, so that was in theory. Let's talk about in actuality. So bring it closer this way. Which way? Where do you want to sit? Sorry, just to Oh, it's blocking. Okay. Uh, I'm a visual person. Excellent. I see I hear. Otherwise. Beautiful. Okay, that was good. All right. <coughs> Now we're going to talk about, in actuality, how this war plays out in different types of people. Types of people. Types of people is the operative word here. Um, each one of us is unique and different, but we're going to talk about general categories. And here's where we're going to start to get some clarity about these terms that were introduced in chapter 1 when we mentioned that there is the Tzaddik and there's the Rasha and there's the Benini and then within Tzaddik, the, the, within tzaddik there's Tzaddik V'tayvloi, Tzaddik V'raloi, within Rasha there's Rasha V'tayvloi, Rasha V'raloi in fact we, we mentioned in chapter 1 there's a Gemara that says there are five general categories of people Two types of tzaddik, two types of rasha, and a benini, an in-between person. So here's where we're going to start to get some clarity about what these categories are. And each one of them are basically different ways of the war playing out. Let's go to chapter 10 and look at the tzaddik. If I could give a chapter title to chapter 10, it would be The Tzaddik. If I had a few more words to give a little bit longer title, I'd say Two Types of Tzaddikim. Who is the Tzaddik? I think we mentioned before, 
when we were going through the early chapters and sort of foreshadowing some of the ideas that would become thematic in Tanya, I think I did mention before my um, working definition of a tzaddik. Remember I told you about the self-test to see if you're a tzaddik? Yeah, for 24 hours, any urge, any compulsion, any impulse, don't filter it, don't question it, immediately act on it. And if nothing comes out but pure, holy mitzvahs, with zero impulse control, zero inhibition, nothing comes out but mitzvahs, you're a tzaddik. The tzaddik has perfect purity of the insides. Now, I want to go back to language that we learned in the first eight chapters, which we, we, keep, we keep doing throughout Tanya. We keep going back to the language that we learned in the first eight chapters. Remember we differentiated between your insides and your outsides? The technical terms are koichais and levoshim. Right? Koichais, those are the soul powers, soul faculties, which are the intellect and the emotions, meaning how I see the world and how I emotionally react to what I think I've seen. That's intellect and emotion. Um, those are the insides. Then there's thought, speech, and action. Behaviors, those are the outsides. When we're talking about the perfection that a tzaddik has attained, we're talking about a perfection on the insides. And obviously, if he has perfection on the insides, or he or she, if the tzaddik has perfect insides, then automatically it follows the tzaddik also has perfect outsides. Because there's, there's nothing to stifle, there's nothing to control. All the tzaddik wants is holiness. So if that's all you secretly desire, then automatically that's going to be all that you do, behaviorally. So the tzaddik has perfect insides and outsides, but the perfect outsides are just an extension of the perfect insides. So far, so good? Okay. Now, within tzaddik, there are two levels. And I guess you could say two levels of inner perfection. They're both inwardly perfect, or perfect on the insides. But there's two levels of being perfect on the insides. So first, let's talk about the lower level of tzaddik, which is called tzaddik Viraloi. A tzaddik, and there is Ra to him. And remember how we defined Ra, by the way. In Tanya, Ra doesn't mean nefarious, plotting, scheming, wickedness. Desires. Well, desires could be holy desires. Or uh, instincts to survive. Okay. Sur survival instinct is one expression of it, yeah. But remember from chapter 6? That real black and white definition. Remember chapter six when we defined kedusha and everything else. Klipa is one way we describe it. Klipa is one one kind of klipa. What? Sitra achra, the other side, which really is a very telling term. There's there's holiness, which we said. Well, we defined in chapter six both holiness and non-holiness. Holiness is Utter surrender. Transparency. I am nothing but a conduit. I let God flow through me without any obstruction. So Ra in Tanya just means uh, whatever 
little smidgen of self is still obstructing the infinite from channeling through me. A little bit of self. We spoke about it before. The, the ego is the EGO, the edging God out, right? There's what God wants for me, and there's what I want. So for a tzaddik, there's no distinction. For a tzaddik, there's no distinction. I don't want anything but what God wants. It's not like I have a conflict. Oh, God wants this, but I want that. Okay, I'll be a good boy. I'll do what God wants. That's not a tzaddik. What? For either tzaddik. For either tzaddik, there's no distinction. Even the lower level, the tzaddik veraloi, he's not conflicted like, well, I would really enjoy fill in the blank, but God wants this, so I'll, I'll give him what he wants. There's no difference between what God wants and what I want, if, if, if I'm a tzaddik, even a lower-level tzaddik. <clears throat> so then what's the difference between the lower-level tzaddik and the higher-level tzaddik? Tzaddik v'raloi, tzaddik v'tayvle. What is the difference? <clears throat> no, no, it's not in Machshava Dibra For sure not. Those are the outsides. They both have perfect insides, so let alone having oh, any... Oh, before Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, there's no difference in their outsides. And even in their insides, the difference is really hard to detect. And by say, but when I, say, when I say detect, I don't mean that we could detect it from the outside, because we can only see someone's behaviors. We can't see their insides. So this would only be for the tzaddik himself to determine. Okay, what's the difference between the lower-level tzaddik and the higher-level tzaddik? So I'll gross you out a little bit here, if that's okay. And I will ask you, um, how much rat hair do you think you've consumed in your life? <laughs> or swallowing spiders. Yeah. <clears throat> swallowing spiders. That's a snapple fact, right? <clears throat> right. But swallowing a spider is actually a problem. I mean, that's a, it's a whole spider. It's uh, even if you did it unknowingly, it's it's non kosher. But uh, uh, rat hair. If, if I'm sorry to tell you, if you eat hot dogs, you you eat rat hair. Oh. No, no, no. I, I want to tell you, both according to the USDA, as well as Lahavdo, according to halacha, the amount of rat hair you have consumed is so nominal. It is so microscopic. It is so insignificant that it is neither a health risk nor lahavdal a halachic problem. But I just want you to know that one part per billion, whatever it is, look, halach allows like bottle b'shishim, one out of 60. USDA is even, you know, looking out for you a little bit more. We has to, you know, if they find one part per million of rat droppings, rat hair, whatever, in the, in the, in the meatpacking plant, then they, they, get, they, 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 cite, they cite the place. But don't fool yourself. Okay, should it be less disgusting and just more terrifying? <laughs> How much arsenic is in your water? <laughs> less gross, but more scary, right? Take your pick. Gross or scary? Either one, okay. But I actually, I, I once heard a toxicologist explain that there's actually no such thing as a toxin. 
if you speak about a toxin, you, you're, you're clearly a layman. You're not, you don't know toxicology. Because by definition, in toxicology, there's no such thing as a toxin. There's such a thing as toxicity. You understand the difference? Everything. Water. It's all a question of volume, of, of, of proportion. Water can be toxic. There's such a thing as water poisoning. Now, how much water would you have to consume before it would dilute the, electro, the electrolytes in, in, your, in your bloodstream so that your brain would not be able to, the synapses would not be able to fire properly? You know, it would be, it, like you'd have to drink a garbage can full of water, and then it would actually cause the body not to, to operate properly. And then water would become toxic. So everything, and then you know, cyanide. How much, you know, uh, how many micrograms would, would would a person require to shut down the whole body immediately? So it's not a question of which is a toxin; it's a question of which has a higher toxicity, which is more potent. Okay. And in in in, in laws of cautious, we, we deal with this all the time, right? Bottle beshishin, you know, something that's nullified in the 60th. So if the tipas cholov, a little drop of milk, falls into the big vat of cholov. So it doesn't make the whole thing possible cholov. Doesn't make, doesn't render it non-kosher. It's a tiny amount, it's insignificant. It's like it's not there. And for all intents and purposes, it's not there. <clears throat> Effectively, it's not there. That, that's the Yetzirah of a tzaddik v'raloi. For all intents and purposes, it's not there. What does it mean for all intents and purposes it's not there? It means it's not a voice, not even a really, really quiet voice. It's not a voice. Sadik Veralwa does not experience that voice. He doesn't have that voice who comes to him and says, Hey, I got another idea. Oh yeah, that's what Hashem says. But I got another idea that might be fun. He doesn't have that voice. Because the source of that voice has been so diluted as to have become, well, the, the metaphor which the Alter Rebbe uses is sleep. It's in sleep mode. It's there, it's technically there, but there's no practical um, effect that it has. It's not bothering the tzaddik veraloi. It doesn't have to overcome desires or temptations. Not even little desires or temptations. The, the effect is so minuscule, it's as if it's not there. Okay. So now you're going to ask, it, if it is indeed as if it is not there, <coughs> the Yitzhahorit has no voice internally in the Tzadik Veraloi. Then what's the difference between the Tzadik Veraloi and the Tzadik Veteyvloi? Or what we call Tzadik She'enoi Gomer and Tzadik Gomer. <coughs> complete and incomplete. Or rather, incomplete and complete. It's the fact that the, the Yitzhahara wasn't converted. So what does that mean? <coughs> it, the Yitzhahara became... So what the Alter Rebbe says is that there's actually no such concept as zero Yitzhahara. 
you can go down to point zero 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 one, which is like, you know, that irrelevant one part per billion minuscule trace amount that is not going to have any effect on you. But there's no such thing as zero. Because actually what happens at zero is instead of having no Yitzhahara, what happens is when it actually becomes zero, 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 it flips. It becomes a second Yitzhahara. So the difference between the Tzadik Veralo and Tzadik Vetoivle, or Tzadik Sheina Gomer and Tzadik Gomer, is that the first one, the Tzadik Veralo or Tzadik Sheina Gomer, has effectively no Yitzhahara. But he has a trace amount that doesn't, doesn't do anything, doesn't bother him. But what hasn't happened, that's happened for the Tzadik Vetoivle or Tzadik Gomer, <coughs> is that the Tzadik V'toivle, or Tzadik Gomer, has actually gained a second Yetzatoiv. He has his first Yetzatoiv, which is the regular one, that everyone has. And he has a second one, which is a refurbished Yetzahara, which has all the passion and intensity of a Yetzahara, but totally single-mindedly directed toward God which is basically what we described in chapter 9 as the fantasy of the godly soul. What was the godly soul idealizing? A scenario where that happened, where there was a complete transformation, where not only was there peace in the small city, because the enemy wasn't able to rear its head, but the godly soul's fantasy is that the small city should actually have more than just peace, more than just a lack of violence or, or, or war, but that the, that the bad guys, the heretofore bad guys, the guys who used to be the problem makers, are now completely co-opted. They've been turned into allies, fervent allies. So another way of saying it is that the Tzadik V'tayvle or Tzadik Gomor is the realization of the godly soul's fantasy. It's when the godly soul's fantasy becomes reality. That's the Tzadik Gama, or Tzadik Kutayvle. <coughs> Another term for this Tzadik Kutayvle, or Tzadik Gama, now we're going to have a third term, is Ben Aliyah. There's a term, Bnei Aliyah, men of ascent. And it talks about, um, in the Zayar, it talks about the, this level of tzaddikim who've transformed dark into light and bitter into sweet. These are the men of ascent. What does that mean? It means just like the tzaddik v'tayvle or tzaddik gomer has affected a transformation within himself, that is what the Tzadik Gama or Tzadik B'tayvle tries to do or succeeds in doing in the world around him. Transformation. Now, if you want to know about transformation, just remember chapter 7 when we talked about the neutrality in the world 
right? The potential holiness, it's not yet actualized holiness, and that most of the world is in that potential state. So the Tzadik Gomer, Tzadik Vatevloi, his focus is to affect that transformation, to elevate, that's why he's called a man of ascent, to cause an ascent, to elevate everything around him. As opposed to what? As opposed to what other motive might a holy person have? So here the Alta Rebbe tells us very clearly, as opposed to the desire to slake his spiritual thirst. You're picking up on a theme here in Tanya, yeah? That self-interest, albeit on the highest levels, <laughs> is always something that we, at the very least, we, um, we identify it. We, 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 we develop a, a nose for self-interest. You know, we develop a, <coughs> a sensitivity to detecting when something, even something holy, might be a little bit self-interested. Now, it's not saying don't do mitzvahs for self-interested motives. In fact, Chazal say very clearly start off and do things with an ulterior motive and eventually do them for the right reasons. So even if you're doing the right thing for the wrong reason, do the right thing, get started. But in ideal, at least, in ideal... Thank you. In ideal, we identify, even in the tzaddik, the tzaddik v'toivloi, one of the things that sets him apart is his absolute altruism. That his interest in serving Hashem is totally for Hashem's gratification. Not to slake his spiritual thirst, which is a very high level, right? I have a spiritual thirst. Right? That's even higher than reward and punishment. It's, I, 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 I yearn for spirituality. That sounds really, that sounds lofty. And it is lofty. And yet, the tzaddik v'toivli, or tzaddik gamba, that's not his motivation. His motivation is to give nachas to Hashem. And what gives nachas to Hashem? Okay, you know what? First of all, just remember that you can't ask somebody why they are delighted by what delights them. Pleasure, delight, craving, desire. These things are super rational. I like what I like. It's not practical. I need what I need and I can explain why I need it. I like what I like, but I don't necessarily have an explanation why I like it. I just like it. And what is Hashem like? What's Hashem's taiva? Hashem had a taiva, had, had a passionate desire, a craving to have a dwelling in the lower realms. So what gives Hashem nachas? What tickles his fancy, so to speak? The transformation of dark to light, of bitter to sweet. When we make this world holier than heaven, Hashem likes it. So what is a tzaddik v'toivlai interested in all the time? How he can affect that transformation, because that's what gives Hashem nachas. And that's what sets him apart. And you're saying the tzaddik or 
Rallo doesn't have that altruistic, or he has it, but it's but it's got a little. So the question is, are we saying that the second level tzaddik, the lower level tzaddik, mm -hmm. um, doesn't have that? Um, and he said, or are we just saying he doesn't live, that we said he doesn't live in it? He, he has a blip in it, I guess. Oh, he's a blip in it. He has a, okay, I like those words. Those are good words for it. Um, yeah, because a, a blip, like a little blip, like that. Yeah, because we all have a little blip. We all have a little moment of real selflessness. Because after all, all of us, even the lowest of us, has that neshama, that nefesh kiss, And the nefesh kiss is altruistic. It's just that this higher level tzaddik is all nefesh kiss, So that's his whole MO of his whole life. That's his only experience. So yeah, I mean, all of us, even the lowest of us, have a moment of pure selflessness, of just wanting to give, give Hashem nachas. So how much more so a lower level tzaddik, I'm sure, has even more moments of that. But he's, that's not what he's living in. That's not his constant experience. With the higher level tzaddik, that's his entire consciousness. That's it. There is no other motive. There's no other motive. Not even to satisfy his own desire for closeness with Hashem. Real selflessness. Now, why do we know about these levels? One answer is, um, you know, we just sort of have to establish a range. The book is called, after all, Sefer Shalbanyanim, right? And most of the book is about the Benini and how to be a Benini. And we have one chapter, Perek chapter 10, which is about the Tzaddik. And we have another chapter, spoiler alert, chapter 11, Perek Aleph, which is about the Russia. And then the, the, the rest of the 53 Prokim are all somehow about being a Benini. So one answer, why do, we need, why do we need to learn about the Tzaddik? The answer is, it's just one chapter, and it's just to establish a range. Here's a Tzaddik, here's a Russia, and then the whole rest of the book is in between that. Another answer... They're both true. Both answers are true. Another answer is, and this is, you're reminding me to make this point, is that it doesn't matter what category you are. So, and this is always the question that every Tanya student always asks. It dawns on them. They have that moment where they're like, whoa, 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 hold on a second. So, according to this, we're all Rashayim. And, the, and the, the tiny teacher has to say, like, talk, let's talk after class. <laughs> no, let's, let's, the point of learning Tanya is not to uh, label yourself or anyone else, for sure not to label anyone else. <clears throat> the point of Tanya is to give us tools for the work. And part of the work is you have to know where you stand, that's true. And, okay, so between you and me, if you learn Tanya and then you look at yourself honestly, you can pretty much figure out where you fit in. Talk to me after class. <laughs> but another thing to keep in mind is whatever category you're in right now, whatever state, call it a state, whatever state you're in right now, we have a range of experiences. And, and there is such a thing as a moment of, of a tzaddik moment, a tzaddik experience. And, and we should know about it. 
and and we should know what it really is, and 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 we should we should cherish it when we have it, and keep it in mind as a reference point. Keep it in mind as a reference point. <coughs> in both ways, both to remember to remind you how high it is, as well as remind you how low other things are. What I mean is, once, once in a while you need to be reminded how high you're able to reach. You know, just to remind you what your potential really is. Even if it's not all the time, but it is attainable once in a while. And then other times, you need it as the opposite reality check. When you think you're flying so high, and then you, you, you look at yourself and you realize, you know what? This is so self-serving. I'm enjoying this. I'm doing. I'm not doing this for God. I'm liking this. Oh my gosh! I almost got full of myself. Reality check. <laughs> to know what the tzaddik is, even the higher level tzaddik, is helpful in both in both in both ways. Sometimes we need it as a boost. Sometimes we need it to put ourselves in our place. If you have a good mashpia, remember, I think I did mention that in the Hakdoma, in the preface of Tanya, the Al Rebbe said that you can't just read this book in a vacuum, you should get a local teacher to help you to implement it. So if you have a good mashpia, a good guide, a good personal trainer, Tanya trainer, to help you implement it, so something like that will, uh, will happen in that context, in those types of discussions. But at any rate, okay, so now we have a, we have a, a concept of where the, the tzaddik is, both levels of tzaddik, okay. What do you say, can we, we don't have a lot of time left, but do you think we could do chapter 11 and talk about the Russia and uh, for the next 15 minutes and then just be finished with chapter 11 and be finished with, with the Russia? yeah? Okay. So... Chapter 11. Just like there are two levels of tzaddik, a complete tzaddik and an incomplete tzaddik, so too there are two levels of rasha, a complete rasha and an incomplete rasha. <clears throat> They're like mirror images. So the complete tzaddik is the highest of the high, and the complete rasha is the lowest of the low, and then the incomplete of each of them the incomplete tzaddik is a little bit lower than the highest of the high, and the incomplete rasha is a little bit higher than the lowest of the low. Okay. So let's talk about first the incomplete rasha. The incomplete rasha. What is a rasha? A rasha is someone who sins. What's a sin? One of the behaviors. Chapter 4. <clears throat> now the question becomes how often? How often? We just said the Rosh is somebody who sins. Categorically? Ever? Once? Once a year? So the answer is, 
how often is really irrelevant. <clears throat> control is control. If you're in control of your behavior, you're in control of your behavior. I know we have a tendency to <clears throat> look at a person's average. You know, on the average, how do I behave? And, and in general, that is a, that's an effective way of looking at behavior. But then there's certain baseline things where we do expect a certain, you know, if somebody says... I got so angry that I could kill. I didn't kill. I mean, once I killed, but generally, no, I mean, I don't. <laughs> or, you know, I get tired when I drive. Sometimes I fall asleep. Not often, not often. Sometimes I fall asleep at the wheel. It doesn't happen every time. Once a month. You'd ask the person, could you please not drive? Well, ever? So once a month I fall asleep. It's too much. It's too much. Not comfortable with those odds. Or maybe this is more a relate. This is a relatable metaphor when you talk about abstinence in recovery. You know, somebody who's in recovery. So there's the there's the actual sobriety, which is more of the emotional state. But then there's the abstinence, which means being free from that chemical or that behavior. So what defines sobriety is your internal state, but and it, which is very fluid and uh, subjective, and there's a whole range of sober thoughts and feelings and, and, and reactions. But then you talk about the abstinence itself, it's pretty black and white. It's pretty, you know, zeros and ones. It, it either is or isn't. I'm abstinent, but, you know, I, I had a drink this morning. But it was wondering. It was only this morning. And I didn't do it a year for it. I haven't done it for a year. Then you're not abstinent. So the Russia means he sins. How often? I don't know. What does it matter how often? He doesn't have control over his behaviors. It doesn't have been any sin? No. The question was, doesn't abate any sin? Now, I could tell you, wait till chapter 12. But I'll be nice and I'll tell you. This is a spoiler alert for chapter 12. No, Benini doesn't sin. The Russia sins. How often? I don't know. However often. Once a day, once a month, once a year, once in a lifetime. I never eat on Yom Kippur, unless I'm really, really hungry. I can go like 10 Yom Kippurs without eating. And then, you know, sometimes I'm just really hungry. Okay, so then you eat on Yom Kippur. But I did it once in 10 years. Okay, but you eat on Yom Kippur. Again, it's not to condemn anyone. It's not to, we're not trying to figure out what his punishment should be. This is for ourselves, to get honest with ourselves. Behavioral control is behavioral control. So the first thing is to know is the frequency is irrelevant. That's the first factor, or I should say non-factor. There are three non-factors within determining the status of Russia. The first non-factor is frequency. It doesn't matter how often his lapse is. 
A lapse is a lapse. The second non-factor. Severity. The severity is irrelevant. Doesn't matter if the person says, well, you know, I'm not always in control of myself, but when I do lapse, it's never a really serious sin. You know, I always hesitate to give examples because, no, I'll tell you why. I've learned this in my years as a teacher that inadvertently, when you give the example of a non-serious sin, then it, like people file that away. They're like, oh, <laughs> keep that one in mind. <laughs> I don't want to give anybody any ideas. Right? Severity doesn't make a difference. Severity is irrelevant. I didn't throw my mother-in-law down the stairs. I told her to shut up. <laughs> You're not controlling yourself. You're not behaving. So the severity is irrelevant. That's the second non-factor. The third non-factor for you Tanya students is you know how many modes of behavior there are, which, which we call garments or levushin. Yeah. Three, right. And they, the most external of them is action, and then the middle one is speech, and then the most internal of the modes of expression is thought. Okay. So, this is the third non-factor. It's irrelevant which of the three modes of expression I employ in my lapse of behavioral control. So I might say, look, it's infrequent, that's non-factor number one. It's a relatively not severe sin. That's non-factor number two. And, and also, third of all, I didn't do it. I didn't talk about it. I just fantasized about it. I just sat and I, and I thought about how fun it would be if I had a free pass and I could do it. That's the third non-factor. Because are you controlling yourself or you're not controlling yourself? When you're sitting there and you're allowing yourself to sit and fantasize about something that you know you're not allowed to do, which is why you don't do it. You're choosing to only fantasize and not do it because you know you shouldn't do it. Are you in control or you're not in control? Oh, well, I'm in control. No, no, you're not in control. You're, you're, you're choosing to control your, your action. You're choosing to control your speech. You are very clearly choosing not to control your thought. So you're not exercising control, period. Categorically, you're not exercising control. Now, you want to get into mitigating factors. This isn't the sentencing hearing, okay? This, that is not, that's not relevant what the mitigating factors are. Right now, we're just trying to establish something. Control or not control. And, and again, I'm not asking you if you can control whether or not you even have the impulse. I didn't ask that. I didn't ask you for, for internal perfection. 
that's the tzaddik. The tzaddik doesn't even have the impulse. The tzaddik doesn't even have the urge. Okay, forget about him. Don't worry about him right now. You have the impulse. You have the urge. No problem. No problem. Welcome to humanity. Okay. Now my question is, okay, you don't have any control over whether or not you have the urge. Or remember we talked about in an earlier class that the knock at the door? You get the knock. Okay, you get the knock. And the knock is a sinful knock. You're not a bad person. You do not control which nudnik knocks at your door, even though it's the internal nudnik called the, the nefshibamas. But the question is, when do you open the door? Well, only rarely. Okay, but once in a while you open the door. Only if it's a relatively non-egregious knock, you know, a mild, what I deem to be a mild knock, then I open the door. Okay, but you're opening the door. Oh, I, I, I don't open the door to action. I only open the door to speech. Or I only open the door to thought. I, I, say to the, I say to the knock, okay, you can come in, but we're only going to fantasize. But you're opening the door. You're allowing, you, you are surrendering your behavioral control on some level. So those are the three non-factors. Frequency, severity, and which of the three garments. If you understand that, then the takeaway is that the spectrum of Russia, particularly Russia Vetoivle, or incomplete Russia Sheinigamur, is a really, 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 really wide spectrum. There are all types of people within that spectrum. From somebody who sins often and severely and with all three garments, to someone who's a really, really good guy. Somebody who we call a tzaddik, colloquially. Oh, but a tzaddik. And you can keep calling him a tzaddik because really... This knowledge is not for the sake of us labeling people, it's for our own self-assessment here. It could be a person who's very kind, and very generous, and very thoughtful, and, 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 and very pious, but doesn't have 100% behavioral control. That's called a Russia. So this spectrum of Russia is a really, 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 really wide spectrum. Once you realize it's are you in control or are you not? Becomes a huge <coughs> spectrum. Okay, now you're going to ask if that's how big the spectrum of Russia, of Russia, of Russia, incomplete Russia, is. That how? Where's the Russia Veralo? Where is he in the spectrum? Where's the complete the Russia Gomer? Where's the complete Russia? And what do you have to do to be him? Which bank do you have to rob to be that? So first of all, let me tell you that the Rosh Averaloi is almost a theoretical concept. It, it almost only exists just to serve as a, as a baseline, you know, just to give us, remember, to, to give us those parameters. It's not really a condition that exists very often. But what is the condition? The difference between an incomplete Russia, which is most nice, good people are in that category, the difference between an incomplete Russia and a complete Russia, 
actually, interestingly enough, has nothing to do with their sinful habits. Has nothing to do with their sinful behavior. That's not the difference. The difference is regret. Regret. An incomplete Rasha, what makes him incomplete in his Rishos? He gives up control, he has a lapse in behavior, but at some point he comes back to his senses, there's a conscience, and he says, that was not right. I feel bad about that. Now, not bad enough to keep him from ever doing it again. Sometimes, yeah, sometimes he really does tissue of him. But very often, he feels bad about the same thing multiple times because he feels bad. I, that was terrible. I, I don't want to ever do that again. And then he does it again. But you see that he's, he's got a conscience. The complete Russia. What makes him Rosh Hashanah is not how often he sins, not the severity of the sins, not which garments are employed in the sins, because we already said those are non-factors anyway. What makes him the complete Rosh is he doesn't care. No remorse. Incapable of remorse. And what it says about him is that his nefesh alakis, his godly soul, which obviously, if you think of if you think about this Roshaveraloi, how violated his nefesh alakis feels being trapped in such a person who's living such a way. The nefesh alakis is so traumatized that it actually I'm, we're gonna use spatial terms, but this this is metaphoric, obviously because we're talking about spiritual phenomena. I don't mean this spatially, but the Nefesh actually leaves the body, and it sort of hovers aloft. It becomes this encompassing um, aura around the person, but it's not integrated within them. What, what does that mean? It means it's not present enough to actually forget about to guide their behaviors, because it's clearly not you know having that impact. But even in the incomplete Russia, the Nefesh is not always guiding the behaviors. It's so uh, extricated from the person's life, it's not even guiding the moments of, of remorse. Well, moments of remorse. Are you referring to somebody who is like um, sociopathic or... So, yeah, yeah, you ask your question, is that sociopathic? And, and I hesitate to use the term because that's a clinical term and I'm and, and not qualified to use those terms. Um, but in very, you know, in conversation... We're just using layman's terms, and I wanted to convey what I mean by a Rosh alloy. I would say, yeah, psychopathic, incapable of empathy, or remorse, or compassion. So, like, disengages? It's a, it's a moral disengagement. It, it, it's, it's, it's not an immoral person, it's an amoral person. Where the question of right and wrong just doesn't occur to me. 
Again, like I'm saying, this is such a theoretical uh, case that really we should see that it serves really only as a as creating a baseline so that we have this range in place. Okay, let let let's summarize because we did two chapters, um, ten and eleven. So let's summarize real quick. Chapter ten. What's our one word title for chapter ten? Sadik. And if we're going to give a little bit longer title, <coughs> two types of tzaddik. Okay, so we have the we, we have the lower level tzaddik and the higher level tzaddik. Lower level tzaddik or incomplete tzaddik, yeah. Does he experience urges and temptations coming from? No, he doesn't. Okay, all right. So then, what's he lacking? How is he not perfect? What didn't happen? Transformation, that's right. The higher level tzaddik, now he has a second yitzitoyf. Right, okay, fine, very good. And, and, and what is the sole motivating uh, goal in the life of the complete tzaddik? Selflessness. Selflessness and just what? Doing what? Giving nachas to Hashem. And more, most importantly, probably the most important thing from this class, uh, this is a yes or no question, can all of us get a taste of that once in a while? Yes, yes, once in a while, we, we all have our selfless, perfect tzaddik moments. Yeah, we do. Pat yourself on the back. Once in a while. All right. Once in a while. Okay. Chapter 11. I, I always kind of giggle to myself. Chapter 11 is bankruptcy. So chapter 11 is what? What's, what's the one word title? Russia. Russia. He's spiritually bankrupt. <laughs> That's bankruptcy. Okay. And a little longer title, two types of Russia. Okay, incomplete Russia. So that's that really wide spectrum of what can we say about the incomplete Russia? He, he doesn't. He's remorseful. He's remorseful. He doesn't have perfect con- behavioral control. Um, the three non-factors: frequency, frequency severity, severity, and which mode of expression? Right. Okay. And then the complete Russia. What's distinct about him? No remorse. No remorse. No remorse. Okay. Now, Baruch Hashem, Next week. Wait, do we have class next week? But next class, when we get together, chapter 12, we're going to get into who? The Begini. The Begini. Okay, that's great. That's what we came here for. Okay. <laughs>